one of the things, especially we see in our business is that the younger generation doesn't see room to grow. And for our company, you know, I look at the roles that have been created over the last few years as we've grown and it creates a career path. And you don't have to wait for the person in front of you to retire or die to get a promotion. We have countless folks that have joined our team here that that left where they were because there was no place for them to grow into next. It was like, just wait for John to move on or, or just using arbitrary names here. But both from a financial standpoint, as well as, you know, gratification and career growth. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. So, Tim, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Thanks for having me. Hey, nice to see you. You've, um, I mean, I'm kind of laughing and saying nice to see you again because I've known you for a bunch of years now. You've been a member of the CO Alliance for a few years. So why don't we even just start with that and then we'll dive into stuff around Duffany Builders and your leadership. What was it that got you to join the CO Alliance three years ago? Do you remember what you might have been looking for or what kind of prompted you to join? Yeah, I was at a, a place. So this is a, you know, I'm doing air quotes right now. So this is a family business. It's a business that my parents have started back when I was just born. I went out and I had another career path. And then when I came back into this business five years ago, I was really struggling with uh, the tools and the resources and that really, you know, having an understanding on how I can be adding value in, in a very operationally heavy business. And so, you know, I started to listen to podcasts and I was really focused on construction at first. And then, you know, I came across your podcast, The Second in Command, and really just the interviews and the, the conversations that you were having with folks and just the nuggets I was able to pull away just and then apply those in our business was, was just so helpful. And then just, I guess, the more I get into it, and I think I reached out at some point to, to Gordy, who was with you at that point, and and, and got, got hooked into the CO Alliance. Funny. It's amazing the number of people that have learned about us from the Second in Command podcast, but now three years later, here you are as a guest on the podcast, too. So I like that it's coming full circle. So has there any been any big nuggets then over the three-year period, like any one or two big things, big takeaways for you that you've been able to to kind of glean from? And some of them might some of them might be more mindset than than tactical as well. You know, I think certainly recently, mindset-wise, uh, you know, the the guest speaker Don Napani there on, on focus and awareness in the mind, which is something that's a huge, huge takeaway I'm working through right now. But one of the things that we've really done well over the last few years. So when I first got in involved with the business here, we were about 25 people, and we're now at 55, 60. And this growth has happened through COVID, and some of the tools and resources that we were able to to leverage from from some of the CEO Alliance meetings and even past recordings, I, I got I watched the video from Jeff Smart there with the, the Who Method for hiring and and incorporating that process. I, I was a horrible interviewer before, made some real bad mistakes, uh, and worked through that and tried to figure out how to how to grow from there. And really following that process that Jeff had, had laid out, and you we incorporated that with you know the putting together a vivid vision um, and just even the journey on creating our vision. Uh, we went. With conscious coffee there and they helped us walk through the process and i think the process alone was was well worth the the cost of that so we incorporate you know leading creating job descriptions with our vision and then taking and working through the you know the, the who method for our interviewing process has really been a, a big game changer for us it's interesting it's just kind of the access to some of the best practices i think that we 
maybe we don't even realize we don't know until all of a sudden we're getting the exposure to it, right? Maybe. So one other question I've got, because you've I've seen you change over the last three years. I'm curious if this is true. It, it feels like every member of the CO Alliance and almost really every every business leader out there, at some point, we feel a little bit of the imposter syndrome. You know, we wake up in the morning and we're like, because at the end of the day, like we're just kids trapped in adult bodies, right? We're still trying to figure this shit out. We're still trying to understand our jobs. And it's like, how did I wake up running this company and and I'm not qualified? Did you ever have that imposter syndrome? And and how do you shed that? That's funny. I uh, I kind of take it to the next level. If you like, a little bit, I've gone through a little bit of an identity crisis here. Um, I when I came into the business trying to figure out who I was and what what I could add to the business and depends on what we're focusing on as far as our pain points. I would have to adapt a little bit and transform. The, I think the imposter syndrome is real. Even if I I don't. We've recently hired an administrative officer to, to work alongside with me because we've we've understood my weaknesses and, and starting too many things and not having the pushback. So some of these roles that I, I look around the room at the CO Alliance and I say, wow, like that's that's a real COO. And for me, and maybe this is part of my imposter syndrome, but um, yeah, I feel like there's, I mean, that's real. I think no matter what seat you're sitting in. Yeah, it's interesting that we had an event years ago where somebody at lunch told me that they felt like an imposter. And I went into the room and asked everybody in the room, who here feels like an imposter? And everybody put their hands up. I'm like, well, if all of you feel like imposters, then like, how come everybody else is smarter? It doesn't make any sense, right? <laughs> all right, let's go into this whole, you know, working with parents component. Why, why don't you start off by t- telling us what Duffany Builders is so we have an idea of the business. And then talk to us about what it was like coming into a family business five years ago. So this business was started as my, my father had originally started this with the idea. He was a carpenter by trade, wanted to have a way to save for retirement, provide for his family. And, and at that point in time, this is in the early 80s, in the, especially in this field, it wasn't really an option unless you started your own business to be able to start your own IRA, et cetera. So my mother's focus was on the, the bookkeeping and the office management side of things and balancing that with, with raising my brother and I. So that business kind of slowly grew for a long period of time. Slow growth has always been the, the process here. It's really relationship-based, really delivering, outworking everybody else, that, that old school kind of men- mentality, that work ethic. And so for a long time, the, the office was in the corner of the kitchen. Uh, the wood shop was in the basement and then eventually built the shop outside. And then, you know, fast forward, my brother graduated college and came into the business and was really right hand with, with, with my father in maintaining and growing the business from there. And then, sorry, I know I'm kind of skipping around a little bit, uh, just the, the story of the family business. So I went out, had another career in, in finance, and then got to a point where I was seeing the strain for, for my family as far as I was out. I was the, the rainmaker and the consultant. And so there was a lot of, you know, I'd wake up and leave the house before the kids would wake up and come home after they were in bed. And, it just got to a point where it's a timeout here. Um, we've always been a family of community. Uh, sports has been a big part of our DNA. Uh, so teams is something that was really missing. And also building something that didn't rely on, on me to, to be the only one delivering. We have an amazing, I think one of my proudest pieces here. And I, I shipped away from using the term family business. We're really a, a, a high performing team that, that likes to have fun. Yep. You know, so many folks here that will just pick up the ball like, or and, and run with it if, if they can help out. And, and that's really what, it, what you know, allows people to, to have that balance. And we've there's a couple of reasons why we've decided to grow the business. One of them is the fact that, you know, you don't have to be the only phone call. Like you have a support team around you and people to count on. And there's, there's we have our own little community here, which is really amazing. 
Hey, you just said something that was really interesting to me. Uh, two things. One was that you kind of almost glossed over a little bit. You said that we decided to grow the business. It sounds like what you're saying is because was the business was doing great, was fine as it was. There's no need to really grow it, right? And you do have to make that decision of are we going to continue to scale this? Was that a, a cognizant decision? Oh, for sure. I mean, we very easily could have said, you know, no, no, thank you to more business and get on the wait list, if you will, to work with us um, and to be certainly, you know, well over oversubscribed there and, and manage that. The piece that, you know, one of the things, especially we see in our, our business is that the younger generation doesn't see room to grow. And for our company, you know, I look at the roles that have been created over the last few years as we've grown and it creates a career path. And you don't have to wait for the person in front of you to retire or die to get a promotion. We have countless folks that have joined our team here that that left where they were because there was no there was no place for them to grow into next. It was like just wait for John to move on or, or just using arbitrary names here. But you know, it's you know, so part of that the big you know having growth that's something for it's been important to myself and and to a lot of folks here is to be able to grow and both from a financial standpoint as well as you know you know gratification and, and, and career growth. So there's that's certainly one piece. And of course, you know, at the end of the day, the there's the adage that I, you know, you, if you're growing, you're either growing or you're dying. <laughs> a little yeah. bit doing it's hard to stay in that middle place. You know, you when you sit in a place where you're, we're not growing, we're also stretching our people where they're going to get burnt out. And so we have to. You, there's always going to be that in between of of when you hire that next person to help, you know, take some of the workload. So that's there's a, there's many reasons for the growth there. How do you think that your financial background has impacted the business? I mean, you come into it with a different lens than your dad, who was the, you know, the carpenter, the, the, you know, the very kind of hands-on, understood the customer, understood the product, probably way more than you ever will. How do you, how, how has your lens helped impact the company? Great question. I think sometimes I, you know, he's, he's so astute to what's going on around him. He's, even though, you know, been basically trained in the, in the field, if you will, he gets it right. The numbers have to work. It's at the end of the day, you can break this stuff down. It's simple math, you know, the revenue over expenses to maintain your profitability. There's, you know, we've had some advancements in the way we've done things or changes that uh, taking a step back and looking at it from a different lens. Um, and maybe it's just fresh eyes. I don't know if it's necessarily the financial background. I think it's probably just a, a just another look at it. The fresh lens. Yeah, it makes sense. All right. So something that doesn't get talked about very often, there's, there's an organization in Canada called the Canadian Association of Family Enterprise. And it's kind of like the COO Alliance, but they only allow family-run companies to be members. And I don't know if they have anything like that in the U.S., but can you walk us through what it's like being in a family business? I mean, there's the good and the bad, right? The good is, you know, you love your parents, they're incredible humans, and then one day you just want to take the kitchen knife and fucking hack the whole family up, and and then you go golfing with them in the afternoon, right? And, and the same, like vice versa, they think you're the best son in the world, and then they're like, God, can we throw this guy off a cliff? How does that? How do you work through those family dynamics? Yeah, it's. I think it depends on who you who, who you ask that to. My my brother is way more level headed than I am, so I think you get a different response from him. Um, I'm a little more emotional and a little bit more my, you know, my my emotions on my sleeve. The nice thing is it's easier to have the hard conversations. You know, you can you can just roll your sleeves up and say, listen, like this isn't working. You effed up, like, or or, or tell me where I'm wrong here, and just cut through it all. You don't have to, you know around the proverbial bush just have the hard conversations and, and move forward and you know we just respect each other we're we're lucky that you know we're just some really good humans i think i'm very fortunate with my parents um and 
you know, my dad's one of the ones you look at and you say, you know, Mike's typically, you know, if you think about doing the right thing, it's usually what Mike would do. And so we're, it's easy to have those hard conversations. Yeah, that's, that was my experience growing up in a family business as well, was they, you can you absolutely can have those tough discussions. And, you, and the trust is there, right? You know the other person's not out to get you. It's not like the TV show Succession. Right. Yeah, there's no hidden agendas. Everyone knows where everyone's going. Yeah. So you also said something that was interesting just around the the style of business that it, that it was kind of when you came in or, or maybe that what got you to where the company was when you walked in five years ago. And it was that that work ethic mentality, right? That real kind of, we're going to grind it out where, um, you know, the nose to the grindstone, you know, you put in a solid day's work, but business scales differently now where it's now it's about working smart. It's about optimization and automation and working on the highest ROI things. Can you talk about what that transition was like for the company when working hard didn't necessarily take a back seat, but there was an, an additional layer? Yeah, um, I'll use I think probably a good example of that is so our, our project managers are the they're the the relationship managers in our business. They're the key. They maintain relationships with the, with our clients and the architects that we work with. I came. I remember coming in the office here and seeing seeing Jim, who's one of our project managers that's been here for about eight years now. One of our key guys that, that deals with, with some of the key accounts, and he's in there and he's he's working numbers on a spreadsheet and getting it. You know, the guy that he's at the gym at five a you know five a.m. five thirty, and then he's he's here in the office at five thirty night trying to you know work on the spreadsheets. And I'm going, you know, I know Jim's not strong. With computers, I know he's you know he doesn't love what he's doing right now. He's, he's probably spending more energy working on that spreadsheet than he should. If there was someone that could balance him out and focus on that part of the business so that he can do what he's really good at, like there, there's a winning combination there. And so, kind of coming back to your the question earlier about growing, like so from a financial standpoint, you need to grow to support the additional resources you have. Like so, if now Jim can let's say I'm not we didn't do this to do this to grow from 1x to 2x but at the end of the day you have to grow to, to support that additional infrastructure but jim can spend more time focused on what he does and gets energized about instead of saying right shit i have to go to the office and work on that spreadsheet yeah yeah you're right he start working on the unique ability teams right so you, if, if people are working in the unique ability the stuff that, that they're really good at and gives them energy and they can delegate everything except that it's nice that you're taking that down a level or a couple of levels I want to talk about teams in a second, but I also want to talk about project managers because you just mentioned something that they're, you know, um, they're kind of a key a key player in the in the company. From I've worked with a few home builders and building places, and the project manager is the key person, like more important than even the contractor themselves. It's this: how do you find great project managers? They seem like they're kind of the the diamond in the rough for everybody. Like they must be super competitive to try to find them and keep them. How do you keep them? We try to support them. You know, at the end of the day, the you know, I think that's a part, a position in the business that burnout's the highest. And so, as much as we can do to support that role, I think everything else fills in. As much as we say we're, you know, no one really works for anyone else. Like at the end of the day, we work for the client. But really, that that role requires the rest of us to do what we can to help them. Um, and so. We focus on that and that trickles down to happy employees and communicating with the clients and everyone, it all kind of comes together. Yeah, I like it. And and it's interesting because if you do kind of stay focused on taking care of them, they're going to take care of the company as well, right? So talk about this team of teams. You talked to, to me just before we went, went live that you have a bit of a culture of this kind of team of teams approach. 
I've heard that saying before, but I can confess, I don't think I really even understand what it means and how it operates. Can you give us some kind of background on that? Yeah, so we um, I'm actually looking at my desk right now. I have our org chart that revamping a little bit here. We've always kind of looked at it like, you know, from, from the bottom up, uh, supporting as you kind of go through the company here. At the end of the day, back to this notion of, you know, our project managers, the, the relationship manager, that, that connection to the client. And then having a, a project administrator working with them to handle the, the administrative side of the business for them. And then they have on the job site, they have a, what we call a site supervisor slash working foreman. That's, it's a big project going on. They're directing traffic or if something needs to be done, they can pick up their tool belt and, and make it happen. So it really requires these different legs of the stool. And so there's a team that somebody is going to get as, you know, to, to handle their project. And then as you look internally, we have slowly over time, we've, we've built out a, an accounting team. We, we, we have a design coordinator now. We have, you know, we're, we're just kind of filling in. We have a, a strong estate management team. And so there's these teams within the, the greater team that are able to deliver for the clients and, and give them what they need. You've mentioned estate management a couple of times and you're, you said estate management and you said another term as well. But what do you mean by estate management in the, the building space? Thank you. We kind of, I think we're probably better at, at executing than, than communicating and marketing sometimes. So for us, it's, you know, a lot of folks will hire us to, to build a house or have a major remodel or addition. And then at the end of the day, the, the relationship's been established there. So it's, these are typically folks that we work with at multiple homes. And so they're not always around. So, hey, can, can you take care of the house and, and the estate while I'm away? And this isn't always like a, a major estate where you might drive by with a big gate or anything. And so it's just another home that is meaningful to somebody. They want it taken care of and they want to know when they show up that the grill works, the generator's working, that if there's, you know, they just come in, they turn the key like they're going to a hotel and, and they're off and running and they lock up and leave. And, and we're here for them watching after their property. So estate management for us is, is kind of slowly evolved over time. And now it's actually becoming a lead for us that we want to work in certain neighborhoods and we have the team to, to, to do the, the maintenance that these homes require. And so we'll offer these services and at some point they'll, they'll want to renovate their house and they'll call us. I would think that that can be a massive, massive business vertical for you guys going forward. I, I would also think that I'd probably be the son who'd be like, hey, let me manage our US Virgin Islands and Caribbean operation, or let me manage our you know, European offices. And, and like, what about all these people's second homes in the Virgin Islands? Like who's taking care of those? Do they just have like estate companies down there doing it for probably, they probably do, right? The total mix. We've been asked to travel a little bit. We have not at this point. I'm not saying we won't. Our focus is, is on this geographic area of Cape Cod. So it's a hybrid. I think people just, they develop relationships with people they trust, like in, in any business. And then that's how they kind of go forward with it. So you're right. There might be something there in the future. It's funny that you, you've you mentioned Cape Cod. I'm going to gonna have to come and come pay a visit when I'm out for our CO Alliance event in September. Um, Cape Cod has always been this mystical place that, to this Canadian preppy kid. So I've got to come out there one day and see see what really this this whole Cape Cod thing is all about. I never really even believed it existed. It always sounded like something out of the preppy handbook. It couldn't have really been real. All right. So local teams was something else that you mentioned to me as well that you you have that is very different from the rest of your industry. I think the rest of the industry, the home builders, they just hire, you know, anybody that they can hire from wherever, and they're just going to, you know, show up and, and work on the jobs. How, how do you guys operate? Yeah, so we're, I think that the, and this might be something I took from my financial 
experience. So it was really that boutique experience. So to be able to, to deliver that, that what a large firm can deliver, but at a local level. So we, you know, like our office I'm sitting in now, we service an area of like about 20 miles around us. And so our, our team is there uh, around this office. They live close by, some, you know, not all, but most live close by. So they can, you know, work 7 to 4.30 and, and then be home for dinner. Even the folks that live far away, they're still able to get home for dinner. So I think at the end of the day, we're, we're performing in areas where people live and have close access to. And so we have one office where I'm at now. We have another office at the other end of the Cape. So there's folks that work out of that office that stay local to there. I mean, these are homes. These are, you know, things, things work, things don't work um, in construction or in the management of them. So having a local presence is important. And it's a strong local network of, you know, people have certain needs or maybe there's something, you know, interesting that maybe happens only every now and again. We have the network of folks that we can call on, people we trust to let into these people's homes. So we have that that local touch, that community feel. But we also, we can compete with the bigger firms that might come from the city that that have vast resources, but they they don't have the local presence. You know, something else that kind of just occurred to me as well is the, the complexity of your business because every every home project is completely different. I mean, yes, you're building a home with foundation and walls and electrical and plumbing, but like every single one is different, right? And then every customer is completely different. And it's a very stressful, I've been there, it's a very stressful project for the homeowner where I remember calling my contractor one day, uh, to put it mildly, freaking out because they'd installed windows in my home that had a blue tint on them. And he said, no, it's there's like a blue film that you peel off to keep the windows from scratching. I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm an idiot. I'm, I'm out of here. I literally was in a full-on panic because every window had this blue tint. And they're like, get out of the house, please. Stop. <laughs> it's like you are more. How do you deal with that when you're like, I, I imagine that is like a daily occurrence for your project managers and for you guys as a company. Yeah, it is. You know, and that's, that is a challenge. I mean, we're in the, the you know, we, we're in the, the business to consumer market. And so you, every situation is different. Everyone comes with their own bag of good things and, and bad. And we work through it and yeah, you, just, you have to work through it. Yeah. Well, and is there, but is there a way that you work through it in terms of like, I don't know, managing the, the conflict that you have a conflict model? Great thought. We, as we kind of systematize things and, and work through as we've grown, um, at the end of the day, we hire people that you know, the gentleman's name is escaping me, but I think you referenced this as well. That from from Southwest Airlines, how do you Herb Keller? Yeah, smile or be happy, right? It's we just hire folks that are respectful, that that care, that they understand the passion that goes into this business. You know, there's we're in a residential structure. There's, there's no doubt about it. You know, have we done commercial stuff? Yeah, we have, but our our bread and butter is the residential, and it's a. There's a lot of similarities to commercial, but there's a lot of differences. And the people that get it and that are there, they understand. Like, listen, the next here we are on Cape Cod, Fourth of July is next week. Our job is to deliver for people, so when they show up and they have their family and friends coming down, that things are ready for them. Like we're there for them. Yeah, and you have to understand that sometimes you know what someone's going to be in a bad mood or be going through something personally that. It may not. I was having a, a conversation with, with Ron, one of our project managers, last night, and and he was talking through coaching somebody that, that's on our team about that. Saying, you don't, you don't know what their baggage is, and and let me share a couple insights with you. And it just kind of gives you a different lens and saying, you know what, we're here for them for a reason. We'll work through it. We'll take a vacation here, and we'll get back to it in a couple of weeks with fresh eyes, and, and we'll we'll move forward. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I don't do a good job of managing conflict at all. I find it just, especially when I know that I'm working so hard or the team is working so hard, I always find it, I take it in a fairly adversarial way and I wish I was better at it. I teach it. It's one of the modules in my invest in your leaders course, but I always find it hard to do that as well. So what do you think on the production side, like to, to produce, to, to manage how many, how many projects concurrently are you guys working on? Tough question to answer. I, it's not because I want to avoid it, but we have we have some folks who are like, "Hey, can you replace this window for us?" Some, you know, up to the, "Hey, here's a you know a, a custom home build that will take a couple of years." Right. So we have you know our project management teams. They'll they'll manage a couple larger projects, and then we'll have some smaller things kind of sprinkled in as we can. So it kind of ebbs and flows a little bit, but you know every team is managing you know a half a dozen projects at a, at a time here uh, of various scales. And do you use project management software or project management methodology, or is it just like a mindset around managing projects, or is that just something that the project managers bring to the table as a unique skill set? Uh, it's a com- I think a combination, especially as we've we've grown, where you know we're getting more structured in our system. There's various project management tools out there for our industry, and we've been transitioning between a couple of them. But it's really you know. Communication is the biggest part of our business. The projects change. They're not it's not like you establish a schedule at the beginning of a project, which we do, but it will change. Workforce, you know, availability, weather, um, and these are smaller, you know, in the grand scheme of things, projects, right? From you know, a lot of our big ones go from one to two years, and so it, it's really the communication aspect of it and the in leveraging the the technology behind them. And you guys um, are running. You said fifty five ish employees. But then you've also got all the sub trades, right? Yeah. So you've got, you know, like the like every contractor that comes onto a job site is not an employee. So you've got the really hundreds of of these relationships that are out there as well at the head office level, like with you and your brother, or your, you know, let's say just you. How many of the employees do you really know, and how many of the sub trades do you really know? Like, do you get out there and get your hand in the can? Do you get out on job sites, or are you removed from that a little bit now? I'm trying to get on the job sites more. So I can establish more of those relationships so that as things come up, challenges on their side or ours, that we can work through them. Back to the earlier comment, I mean, I'm I'm here to support as much as I can. So that for me is getting my hand in, you know, I, I joke around and tell people, but they don't want me swinging a hammer. They're going to be, we'll be fixing it. Yeah. I was just thinking back to my days running a house painting company that I could technically paint a house, but I didn't like painting. And, you know, I would show up on the job sites more to take care of the team, make sure they had what they needed you know, show up with some drinks or some, you know, Dairy Queen or something just to kind of make them happy. And, but also just to really stay present and understand the job, right. To, to kind of stay around it, but it was also part of the culture. So I'm curious, how, how do you build a company culture in a kind of blue collar construction, you know, certainly not everybody in an office, how do you build that kind of a company culture? Do you have that thought thought out in your vivid vision? So I think a, a challenge Ever since I can remember, there's a challenge between the field and the office, as described. You know, there's we have 20 of our 55, about 25 carpenters, and so it's like you know, they're what are they doing in the office? And you know, and I think it's usually not an understanding of what goes into someone else's work, right? And so, kind of like me, to your point, going out to the job sites and seeing what's going on with different folks and the challenges that they're facing, we try to get people together as much as possible. We're we have a golf tournament coming up through our local home builders chapter, trying to you know, get as much of a mix of people in there as we can. Um, 
know, we have a company outing that we're planning for right now in, in August to, to get the team together and spend the day together and make some competitions happen and, and get to know and get to know each other a little bit better. Um, so as much as possible, just, just kind of finding ways to, to get people to, to connect. Yeah, it makes sense. All right. So I want to talk a little bit about, about you and kind of the, the people on the team. I mean, you're sitting there working on your skills. You're trying to grow as a leader. Do you bring any kind of a, a mindset or methodology towards growing the skill sets of your people at all? So we've been kind of working through definitely a mindset. I think it's the growth mindset that we have here that we all, we all need to be continuously learning. My father, Mike, who started this business and is really kind of air quotes here retiring. Um, but he's still trying to grow and, and learn and, and see what's going on as the world changes around him. So that, you know, people need to have that mindset here. And so he'll probably make, hopefully they make fun of me. I, I bring in books and buy books to, to bring and share in the office. We're renovating the office now. We're creating a little bit of a library area so that people can grab those those books that, that I think look valuable, valuable uh, lessons. We've started folks enrolling in the Investor Leaders course that, that you put out there, which is fantastic. There's, there's so many skills that you kind of take for granted that People know how to manage their inbox, that know how to handle you know, conflict or you know, in, in dealing with situational leadership. So there's continuing to push folks to, to, to grow. And you know, a lot of people, we have some folks getting their, their construction supervisor's license right now. And we're trying to incentivize uh, people to go down and obtain those, those certificates. I think it, it, it allows you or expose you to different areas of the business that you might not be on your day to day. And it's going to create more you know, career path development as well. Yeah, it makes sense if you're always looking towards that as well. All right, I want to go back to, to you a little bit. So what are you working on currently? I mean, you're three years in, you're now doing a transition, you said, and kind of bringing a new head of operations in that's going to be reporting to you, it sounds like. How's that transition going and what are you working on to make that transition work? Yeah, um, I think it's going great. Kelly might tell you, it's, you know, she's still trying to add value to it, which I think she already is. It's, it's really... And coming into a new culture, a new business, understanding what's what and wrapping your head around things, which you know, I'm very excited about that. I think that I'm in a place too, trying to realize, right, slow down, Tim. Let's make a list here and prioritize. You don't have to do everything at once. My brother and I recently went through a, a 360 assessment with Dr. Ed uh, Column that has gone through and, and we've, he's interviewed some folks around us and we did a Hogan assessment and really drilled into who we are and where are we going. Um, and so that's been, a, and we're still going through that process here, which has been hugely impactful for us as far as being aware, uh, self-aware. Yeah, the leaders, have you read the book Leadership and Self-Deception? No. It's a really great read. It's one that I had to read just to grow myself as a leader back when I was building 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And it was just some of the kind of self-awareness that we need to be as a leader, right? We sometimes have our blind spots and um, it can re- be super helpful for sure. All right, let's go back to the the 21, 22-year-old Tim Duffney. I want you to give him some advice. What advice would you give the 22-year-old that you know to be true today, but you wish you'd known back then? <laughs> so many things. You know, I, especially, I think I, I find myself in trying to juggle too many things, and it's the focus, um, which I, I just kind of come back to, really, the, the, the teaching of, of Don DeFondi. The understanding the, the mind and awareness is, I just encourage anyone to read his, his book there, so powerful and it's so simple and it's the things you're not taught as a kid but yeah just understanding you have control of, of your awareness and your focus and the powerful powerful tool i like it tim Duffney, managing partner for Duffney builders thanks very much for sharing with us on the second command podcast grab me this is fun that was awesome 
You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com. 